Week one of college basketball is in the books. And if it's anything close to what this season is going to be like in the tri-state area, then look out. This season is going to be something special. Maybe, just maybe one for the record books, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. 1991 was a long time ago when St. John, Seton Hall, Rutgers, and UConn all made the NCAA tournament. File that one away and remember that date because we could be going back to that date come March. Instead, let's just enjoy what we've seen so far after a couple of games. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. I'm Brian DeNovellis. And what do we know after one week? Well, we know UConn, Seton Hall, St. John's, and Rutgers are all 2-0, right? The three Big East teams making it look the three Big East teams making it look rather easy, while Rutgers, well, let's just say Rutgers did it the hard way. So let's begin in Piscataway with Rutgers. So much buzz about basketball in the banks this season, and rightfully so, right? The Scarlet Knights coming off their first NCAA tournament appearance in 30 years. They're coming off their first NCAA tournament victory in 38 years. But let's face it. You didn't expect to get a dogfight from Lehigh and Merrimack Rutgers fans. That's exactly what you got. Rutgers needed overtime to beat a Lehigh team that was predicted 10th in the Patriot League. But they won the game, right? They needed a step back fadeaway jumper by Geo Baker in the final minute just to send the game into overtime. But they won. And then they got a dogfight from Merrimack. Nobody could have predicted that from a team that's only been playing Division I basketball for three years. They were beating Rutgers by seven at the half. And thankfully, the Scarlet Knights woke up just in time. The game was still tied at 29 with 10 minutes to play. And it wasn't Geo Baker. It wasn't Ron Harper Jr. or Paul Mulcahy or Caleb McConnell or Cliff Amorier that was the star over the final 10 minutes. It was a pair of transfers. It was a pair of bench players. Maybe they won't be bench players for long. Jaden Jones and Andre Hyatt stole the show and combined to score 15 of the Scarlet Knights' final 19 points over the final 10 minutes of this game. Thanks to those two players, Rutgers survived what would have been an awful loss to Merrimack. Now, listen. I know Merrimack is good, okay? But you cannot lose a game like that on your home court early in the year. How'd they do it? Of course they did it with defense. That's how Rutgers always does it. It begins and ends on the defensive side of the ball for Rutgers. They held Merrimack to 23% shooting in the game, 17% in the second half. Thank goodness this team plays defense, but... Look, sooner or later, they have to find some offense. And it's difficult without pure shooters. Harper Jr., streaky. Geo Baker, streaky. Paul Mulcahy, streaky. The guards of Baker, Mulcahy, and McConnell have struggled in the first two games. Baker, 5 for 21. Mulcahy, 3 for 16. And McConnell, 2 for 9. Sooner or later, these guys are going to put the ball in the basket. They're not going to shoot like that all season. 
But when you're struggling to score offensively, you're struggling to shoot from three, you need a spark. They got it from Jones and Hyatt. And how about that play by Jones with about five and a half minutes to play? Ron Harper Jr. is at the free throw line, shooting a one and one. He misses it. Nobody steps in the lane except Jones, grabs the ball. He says, okay, I'll lay it in. I mean, the Merrimack players were looking around like, what just happened? What just happened was he was the one paying attention. Jaden Jones was the one paying attention, went in the lane, grabbed the rebound, laid it in. A heads-up, smart play by Jones. It's only a matter of time before he gets it going. He's really a first-year player for Steve Peichel. So it's going to take him time to get adjusted to college basketball night in and night out. But Jaden Jones has star potential for Rutgers. Andre Hyatt is another player who Rutgers can count on to come in and give them a lift. And that's exactly what he did against Merrimack. So the thing you have to worry about, yes, Rutgers won, but the starters logging a ton of minutes. That shouldn't have happened in the first two games. It needs to change this week against NJIT and DePaul. But guess what? Don't count on it. NJIT played Merrimack and Lehigh. They played the exact same schedule that Rutgers has played so far. They lost to Merrimack by seven, but they beat Lehigh by 17 points on the road. Expect NJIT to play hard, to play tough. And Thursday's game at DePaul, I know DePaul is perennially a bottom feeder, a last place team in the Big East, but look, it's never an easy place to play. There's hardly any fans there. It's not like it's loud, but there's something about DePaul. They're always tricky. Just ask Villanova. Villanova almost lost to them. They needed overtime to beat them last season. Seton Hall has always had fits against DePaul. All right? It's never easy. So neither game is a gimme this week for Rutgers but they would like to keep this thing going. They need to find their stroke. They need to find their offensive game. Otherwise, they might get tripped up this week. All right, let's go to the Big East. Let's begin at the top in the tri-state area with UConn. The Huskies moving up one spot to 23rd in the latest AP poll. They have blown out their first two opponents. They won by 51 over Central Connecticut. They won by 35 over Coppin State. So what have we learned about the Huskies. Well, they're deep. They're talented. They're big. Danny Hurley is bringing the freshman class along slowly. It's a very talented freshman class, but he's bringing them along slowly. Why? Because he has an abundance of upperclassmen. He has veteran leaders in RJ Cole and Isaiah Whaley and Tyler Polly. And he has a budding star in Adama Sinogo who is busting out, okay? You know, if you've listened to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, you know I am in love with Adama Sinogo. Now, Kevin Willard compared Alexis Yetna and his rebounding prowess 
to one Angel Delgado, one of the greatest rebounders in Seton Hall history. I am here to tell you that Adama Sonogo, his game is almost identical to Angel Delgado. Delgado was a much better rebounder. All right. He led the Big East in rebounding with 13 a game. Sinogo is not quite in that level. But if you want a big, hulking 6'9, 6'10 center, prototypical, back to the basket, low post player who can move you out of the low blocks, who can score at will, who will outmuscle you, outwork you. In that low post, that's Adama Sinogo. All he did in two games so far is average 20 points and seven rebounds. This is Adama Sinogo's team. He can also step back and hit a jumper like he did against Coppin State from 17 or 18 feet. And did you see the highlight reel steal and dunk? Just Google Adama Sinogo highlights versus Coppin State. Second half, Sonogo makes a steal on the other side of half court, takes two dribbles and slams it. All right, how many big guys do you know can make the steal on their side of the half court, take two dribbles and dunk it on a fast break? I mean, he is so athletic. He is so skilled. If you don't believe me, just listen to one of his teammates. It's Tyrese Martin who said, when in doubt, give Adama the ball. If UConn needs a basket, they're going to go inside. That's going to be the first option, Adama Sonogo. But it's not all about Sonogo. We know that. UConn has a very good backcourt and a very good frontcourt. The backcourt of RJ Cole and Jalen Gaffney, they're skilled. They can shoot the three. They combined to score 25 points against Central Connecticut. They combined to score 27 points and dish out 14 assists against Coppin State. And Gaffney comes off the bench, okay? He comes off the bench because right now Hurley wants to go bigger and, and he wants to start Andre Jackson. He wants to start some of his veteran players like Tyrese Martin, like R.J. Cole. Gaffney's comfortable in his position coming off the bench. He accepts his role. He's very good at it. So just keep doing it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And let's not forget about a cook, a cook. Because last year, he was recovering from a torn Achilles tendon. But he has shown no signs of rust after sitting out. He's averaging 10 points and seven rebounds. He's showing range for a 6'9", skilled player. He's hit three of four from downtown. He is going to be a matchup problem night in and night out for every team he faces. Now, the negatives, you'd like to see a little more from Andre Jackson. Absolutely. He has too much talent, too much skill, too much hype for him to only take three shots a game. But let's face it. It's hard to get your shots when Sonogo is getting his and Cole's getting his and Gaffney's getting his. There will be games that Jackson bust out. 
he may not come into his own until next year when some of these players move on. But this is his year to develop and figure out his role with this team and figure out how he can still get his points and play his role. UConn is off to a nice start. For them, it's all about getting ready for the battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas next week. Their schedule this week is another tune-up. LIU on Wednesday, Binghamton on Saturday, then it's off to the Bahamas. And of all the teams that are in this tournament, like Baylor, like Syracuse and VCU and Michigan State, what's up with the Huskies' first-round matchup? You're matching up UConn against Auburn, number 23 against number 21 Auburn. That's a first-day game. No respect for the Huskies. The committee screwed them. But I think the Huskies will prevail in that one. In a span of three days, if things fall right for UConn, they could face number 21 Auburn, unranked Michigan State, number nine Baylor. It would not surprise me if UConn gets to the final of the Battle for Atlantis tournament. That is always one of the top tournaments in the preseason and there's no doubt it's one of the top tournaments once again. If UConn can somehow minimum get to the finals, then they would solidify themselves as one of the top 20 teams in the country. If they somehow beat Auburn and run the table and win that tournament, they would catapult to top 10 in the country, no question. All right, Seton Hall and St. John's mirror images of each other right now. Are they not? Both teams can go 10 deep. There's little to no drop off when they go to their bench. Both teams are long, athletic. They feature transfers who are in the starting lineup. They feature transfers who come off the bench and can score and can defend. They like to get at it defensively. I would say the difference right now, after both teams had huge blowout victories in both of their opening games. The difference right now is St. John's has two clear stars in Julian Champagny and Posh Alexander. Seton Hall star, Jared Roden, is still nursing an ankle injury that he suffered in the preseason. He's only played half of one game. After that, who is Seton Hall star? It could be any number of players. St. John's clearly has two stars in Champagny and Alexander, and both players are off to great starts. Champagny averaged 21 points in both games, shot seven of 15 from three. Alexander had 15 points and eight assists. That's what he's averaging. Alexander averaged 15 points and eight assists in the two games. The Johnny Stars are shining brightly in Jamaica, Queens. Now, as far as the remaining cast, I've been most impressed with Tariq Coburn, the transfer from Hofstra. He's a local kid from Queens. He's feeling right at home. The crowd loves him. He comes off the bench. He provides an instant spark. He scored 13 in the opener. Then he torched St. Peter's for 17. He can shoot it. He is as good as advertised. I also like what I've seen from the bigs. 
Joel Soriano, 6'11", knows his role. Aaron Wheeler, the big transfer from Purdue, can do a little bit of everything. He can rebound. He can score down low. He can shoot the three. He hit two of them against St. Peter's. Soriano loves to rebound. These transfers, Soriano, Wheeler, Coburn, throw Montez Mathis in there, the transfer from Rutgers. They have fit in nicely. And the chemistry on this team is starting to build. These players accept their roles. They embrace their roles. The Johnnies can go 10 deep. And let's not forget, that's a very good St. Peter's team. They were picked second in the MAC behind Iona. They nearly upset VCU from the Atlantic 10 in their opening game. Let's go back to last year when they almost beat St. John's at Carneseca. And all St. John's did was beat them handily. They led by 20 at the half. They cruised to a victory. This game was never in doubt, unlike last year's. So there's no question in my mind. Last year's St. John's team was very good. It's only two games, but this year's St. John's team has potential, so much more potential to be better. And if you don't believe me, how about what St. Peter's coach Shaheen Holloway said after the game? He said it. They're better. They're more talented. They're deeper. They impose their will. Take his word for it. He says this St. John's team is better. Again, we're only one week in. But here comes the litmus test this week in the Gavit games for the Johnnies. Let's see if they can do it in their first true test on the road against one of the most storied programs in college basketball history, in one of the most storied buildings, Assembly Hall in Bloomington, on the road against Indiana. Let's see if they can do it there. Do I think they can do it? Absolutely. Indiana is good. I just think St. John's is better. And that would be a nice road win early in the season for St. John's to pad their resume come March. Finally, Seton Hall. All the Pirates have done is beat FDU by 44 and Yale, the preseason favorites in the Ivy League, by 36. That game was never in doubt. Seton Hall jumped out to a 17-2 lead. Yale made it a game for, I don't know, about half a minute. They cut it to 19-15. to And then Seton Hall pulled a roadrunner. Meet me. It was like roadrunner versus Wiley Coyote. There's Wiley Coyote with the dynamite under the bridge. And roadrunner just went, Meow. they simply blew the Bulldogs out of the building. And they did it without their best player, Jared Roden being fully healthy. This was Roden's first game. We know all about Jared Roden, first team, preseason, all Big East. All right, but he was coming off an ankle injury. Uh, Kevin Willard was limiting him to about 22 minutes. He played half a game, was a little rusty. You could tell his hands were a little bit, you know, off. He had four turnovers in the game, but he still managed eight points, 10 rebounds. Jared Roden is always going to rebound the ball. He is always 
going to do everything on both ends of the court. But my point is, without Jared Roden, their star in the first two games, Seton Hall has had a number of players step up. Once Roden is healthy, there's no question he's going to be their leading scorer on the season. But here's why the Pirates will be so tough to defend this season. On any given night, it could be any one of a handful of players who's the Pirates' leading scorer. Against FDU, it was Tyree Samuel. He had career highs of 19 points and 10 rebounds. Against Yale, it was Alexis Yetna with 15 points, shooting threes. They were, they were coming down from the scoreboard. He hit three of them in the game. Kaderi Richmond found his groove. He had 13 points. It could be Miles Kale. Could be Bryce Aiken. I mean, how good has Bryce Aiken been? We are seeing the Bryce Aiken that we didn't see last year because he was hampered by injuries all season. Man, I'm praying this kid stays healthy because he is so much fun. He is so fast with the basketball. He comes in off the bench and he's capable of hitting nine straight points in a blink of an eye. You know, another player who I'm very high on is Trey Jackson. He could be the leading scorer if given the time out there. He, he scored 14 in the opening game, was a little bit off in game two. And we know Jameer Harris can fill it up. On any given night, he's capable of hitting five, six, three-pointers. All right, he has such a pure stroke, such a beautiful stroke. I said this on Twitter. It reminds me of, of Andre Barrett, the way he shoots the ball, that form. The Pirates can hit you in a variety of ways inside and out. All of those players I mentioned, they're capable of hitting threes. They're capable of leading the team in scoring. So you can't just concentrate on one player like Miles Powell, like Mamu and trying to stop those and forcing the others to beat you. You can't. Jared Roden will get his. Who's going to get theirs on any other night? We will find out. But what's really impressed me in the Pirates' first two games is their focus and attentiveness on the defensive end. No plays off. This team is getting at it defensively. I'm watching... Bryce Aiken, fight through screens. Jameer Harris, fight through screens. They are challenging shots. How many times in the last several years did we see the Pirates go through the motions defensively? I mean, I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to my friends as I'm watching games, how come everybody else gets open threes and we have to struggle to get our shots off, right? I mean, it would take them 20 minutes just to figure out, okay, guys, now we have to defend. Now let's defend in the second half. Well, sometimes it was too late. They are getting at it from the opening tip. Everybody. We know Ike Obiago is going to defend, but Roden is defending. Harris is defending. Richmond is defending. They're enjoying it. They're embracing it. They held Yale to 24% from the field. They held FDU to 28%, one for 13 from three. Yale shot four for 30 from three. I know it's Yale and FDU. I'm not taking anything away from Yale. That's a very good team. 
and FDU will find their groove. But what I'm saying is this team is getting at it defensively. And when I see a team giving that effort defensively, I know they're going to do that night in and night out. Now, don't expect Michigan to shoot 24% from the field or 28%, but it's going to be fun to see where Seton Hall stands against the fourth ranked team in the country. Man, this game is a game Seton Hall fans have been waiting for 32 years to happen. They have been waiting and waiting for a chance to get back at Michigan. I know it's not the national championship game. That game, we can never take that game back. That loss will always hurt Pirates fans. Every time I watch that national championship game on YouTube, every time I watch that game on YouTube, I swear, I think Gerald Green is going to hit the front end of that one and one. I think John Cloggerty is going to swallow that whistle. Man, I would just like to see for once how that game would have ended as Robinson dished it off with three seconds to go. I'd like to play out those final three seconds. Ah, but unfortunately, that's never going to happen. Michigan always wins. Robinson always hits the two free throws. This will not make up for it, okay? But it is going to be fun. It is going to be one of the best uh, early season matchups. I hope it lives up to the billing. I hope that Seton Hall keeps it close. Michigan, oh, by the way, is open as a 10 and a half point favorite. That line's a little fishy to me. I know Michigan's at home. It's at Chrysler Arena. But I think Seton Hall is going to keep it close. If I were a betting man, why not bet Seton Hall in the money line? What the heck? Now, the best player on the court is Hunter Dickinson. He's not an All-American by accident. I mean, he is. he should be in the NBA right now. He can beat you anyway. He is a bear. He is bullish. He is quick. He has a variety of moves. Seton Hall post defenders, they're going to have their work cut out for them. They're going to start Ike on them. We know that. Uh, they're going to roll out Tyree Samuel, maybe Trey Jackson. Just keep throwing bodies at him and try to wear him down. It is going to be a challenge for the Seton Hall big men in the post. We know Dickinson is going to get his. If the Pirates have a chance to win, they need to keep him under 20 points. The question is, will Eli Brooks go off? Will Caleb Houston go off? Will Devontae Jones go off? Who will be the complimentary scorers? I know this. The Pirates will come. They will play hard. They will defend like maniacs for 40 minutes. Will it be enough? We shall see. Now, here are some stats for you. You know the first one. Seton Hall has never beaten Michigan. They lost in the national championship, and they also lost a few months later in the duel in the desert in Las Vegas, 91 to 86. 0-2 all time against the Wolverines. Here's another stat. The Pirates have never beaten a non-conference top five team on the road. 0-5 all time. Michigan is ranked fourth. Book it now, ladies and gentlemen. If the Pirates can pull off this upset, they will be ranked in the top 25 next week. Do I think they will do it? I think it will be close. I think in some ways it will come down to the final four minutes. 
If they are within three points in the final four minutes, look out, Michigan. All right. I think Michigan wins a close one, but I think this game will prepare the Pirates for what they will see down in Florida over Thanksgiving week. And I think they will have a chance to win that tournament in Fort Myers with Ohio State, Cal, and Florida. Call me a homer, but the Pirates are going to do something big, whether it's shocking Michigan at Michigan or winning in Fort Myers. It's going to be a heck of a week in college basketball. The Gavit Games, all our locals are in action. We'll do it all again next Monday right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time.